I'm Andrew Murata, host of the Education Leadership and Beyond podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Wednesday evening, or it could be Thursday, depending on the world where, depending where you are in the world. But, you know, just thank you as always for making My EdTech Life a part of your day. And I'm just really excited about today's conversation. We have an amazing, amazing guest. But as always, I just want to say thank you for sharing our shows, sharing our links, liking us and following us on social media really helps out a lot. And thank you so much for the amazing feedback and the wonderful emails. We truly, really appreciate that. As you know, we always strive for excellence and want to continue to grow and grow in our mission of connecting educators and creators one show at a time. So thank you again, as always, from the bottom of my heart. And tonight we've got a great, great show. I'm really excited. We just had a great time in the pre-chat. Just it's going to be a laid back conversation, but it's hopefully it'll be something that'll be fruitful for all of you educators that are out there. And tonight we've got Jason Reagan on the show. Jason, how are you doing this? All right, Fonz. Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's Thursday morning for me, so dress warmly. <laughs> That's all I can say is dress warmly. <laughs> so great to be here. Thank you so much. Awesome. Jason, well, thank you so much again for the for accepting the invite and just mm -hmm. being on the show. And I know I'm a longtime follower also on Twitter of your work, and I know you've got a thank podcast you. and you do so much out there for the education mm -hmm. community. So yeah. let's go ahead and dive in. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, if you can just for our audience members that are mm -hmm. just getting to know you today mm -hmm. or the first time, if you could just give us a brief little introduction and your context in education. Sure. Yeah. Thanks again, Fonz. I appreciate it. Yeah. My name is Jason Reagan. And as you can tell, probably slightly from my accent, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, I'm currently the middle school curriculum coach and the what's called the MYP coordinator at a school in Beijing, China. It's an international private school. And uh, what I do is I help teachers um, plan their units and to make sure that those units align with all the other units across the grade level and across the, the school to make sure that, that the experience is the best it can be for students. Wonderful. So that's great. You yeah. know, that's instructional design, making sure everything is vertical. Everything's great. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be mm -hmm. talking a little bit about that design aspect, of course. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we'll be talking about STEM. As I know, you have done a lot of shows, you know, or surrounding those topics. Yeah. And that's great because those are two topics that mm -hmm. I really love to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. So before we dive into really mm -hmm. your body of work and just diving mm -hmm. in a little bit more and, and understanding how somebody from Atlanta ends up in Beijing. <laughs> I, I always want totally. to, we'll, and we'll probably get that right now in uh. the superhero origin story segment <laughs> of the show. Thank you. Because yeah. as you know, everybody that comes on the show is like a superhero to me. Mm. And of course, mm. every superhero has an origin story. So I'd yeah. love to hear a little bit about the Jason Reagan superhero <laughs> origin story. So Thank Jason, you, man. let me know. Was education something that you always wanted to go into or was it something yeah. you kind of landed in and just mm -hmm. flourished in there? Yeah. It was not something I wanted to do. In fact, I hated school. I, I, the, I, I actually started as a theater and 
major. So it was for TV and radio production. And so I did things like design sets, lighting, run shows, those kinds of things in the theater, but with the, with the goal to work in radio and television production. And so while in college, I did, of course, as many people do, a college radio program, at least back in the day. I don't know if people do that much anymore now, but yeah, I was a DJ for three or four years then and did a lot of different kinds of stuff. I learned a lot about, about that business, which was really fun in the, in the, in the late um, 80s, early 90s to, you know, to be around for Nirvana and, and all these different things that were happening in the world of music, which was amazing. When I graduated, I went into a small television station, a CBS station down in Florida. And uh, it was really fun to be on the midnight shift <laughs> and to work, you know, receiving satellite feeds. I used to have to put them on the Betamax and do all these things. And the end of my day was to run the morning show, do the camera, do the different stuff, make sure the green screen's ready for the, 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 the weather guy and stuff. And which was really fun. And it was like an enjoyable time for me, but it was even crazier that I was making like minimum wage. And I'm like, why did I go to school for four years to make minimum wage? And to know that I would have to put so many dues in to get into a decent paying job in that industry, I was a little downtrodden. I just was not really happy. I was enjoying the work. I was not enjoying the fact that I was eating ramen noodles every, every meal. And I thought I would be better than that right by that point in my life. And so it just so happened that the state of Georgia had just instated the lottery, which for many, many years, they did not have the lottery because of whatever reason. And so the only way they were able to push it through was that any lottery money had to go to education. And so I actually had a chance to go back and get my master's degree for free. As, as if I was going to work in a, an education field that was in, in need, right? And so it just so happened, this was right as shop and industrial arts teachers were retiring and they needed to replace them. And they were not replacing them with industrial arts teachers. They were replacing them with what they call technology education teachers. And so the idea was that you took all these different I, skills and you put them into modules. And so we had like a module for... Uh, reading the weather. And then we had a module for, for CAD and we had a module for desktop publishing. And we, we even had like a shop module. So I went into that thinking, oh, this will actually work because we can do television and I could teach kids about television, but actually make a little bit of money and have some benefits and things like that. So I went back to school and I, I went into this field, which is still a, a critical shortage field because there's still not a lot of people doing it. But so I, I went into that field thinking that would work for me. And I've never looked back. I've, I've really enjoyed being in education. I feel that I'm very relational and I, and I love the art of conversation. And so that allows me as and being stuck in the back room with a bunch of tapes in a, in a TV station, ironically, something that's for communication, I, I wasn't able to communicate very much. And so it was really good for me to move into education that way. And so. That's how I got into education. The, the, how I got to overseas is a very different story. But so after one year of teaching in a public school, um, it just so happened it was a school in Atlanta. It was a lot of free and reduced lunch kids. It was a high school. And uh, I was there first, like full-time 
teacher in that field for many years, people would come for a few weeks and leave. It was just a really hard environment. And I enjoyed the work, but it was so emotionally draining. I thought I'm a first year teacher and I come home every day and collapse on my couch to just recharge. And I thought this is not what I got into education for. I want to help the community, but I can't help them if I'm not well. Right? And so one afternoon I was driving home. It had been a particularly hard afternoon hard day at, at work. And an ad came on national public radio about teaching English in China. And I called up these people and I think the rest is kind of history, but I moved into, I moved to Beijing, which is where I am now in 1999 to start teaching English to university students and fell in love with travel, fell in love with a completely view of the world. These were college students that were not much younger than me at that time. And these were kids whose entire existence was to be in that school or that university or that college. And some of them had come from the countryside where the entire village put money together to send them on the train to get there. Like it was really amazing. And everyone really values education. And not only that, they really valued teachers, right? And so to go from an environment where I was feeling very emotionally run down to one that I was supercharged, it said to me, okay, I've got to find a way to take this feeling I have now and, and, and take my passion for teaching and marry those two. And so that's kind of where working in international schools came from was it was still that mindset of kids who really wanted to be at school and parents who really wanted their kids at school. <laughs> and it's not to say that the other kids didn't want to be at school, but it was, it's just a very different environment. These are kids who are going to be successful, whether I'm in the room or not, but I can help them become even better at what they do. So that's kind of how I got into education and how I got overseas. Wow. That is such a great story. I mean, just everything from the get-go and, and, you know, and the reason that I asked that is because I myself coming in from marketing and sales and then mm -hmm. finding a role in education and learning how to navigate this space and just kind of mm -hmm. being able to transfer those same skills, very similar mm -hmm. to you. That's why what your story, mm -hmm. you know, how you're very relational communication. Mm -hmm. And so those are all great attributes for a teacher to have in the classroom mm -hmm. and transferable skills, whether it's in the classroom or outside in regular mm -hmm. day, day in, day out. So that's one of my favorite questions to ask because, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. it's, it's wonderful to hear that, you know, oftentimes, you know, people, at least I don't know, I think it's changed, but back in my day, it was like, oh, you didn't go through the College of Education, so you wouldn't know or you right. wouldn't understand. And it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. I mean, you know, it's same skills, just, you know, different pathway, <laughs> yeah. but it's yeah. the same thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. And I'm actually a little, I, I get a little bit concerned when someone went straight into the College of Education, went into teaching, and they're trying to sell themselves as an expert in life. And it makes me a little bit... <laughs> A little bit worried. I, I'm sure they have a lot to offer, but I think because that came around and I found through my podcast that most design educators started in a different industry and went into education. And I think that's one thing that makes them such good educators is that they've had this life experience that they can relate. And there's a bit of um, <clears throat> recognition for them to be able to show that. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, and it's great that you said that because that, that takes me back to an episode I did with. Dr. Matthew Woods, now big shout out to Dr. Matthew Woods, mm. who I asked him one time, I said, listen, you know, 
do you see a difference in your schools as you walk down the halls, you know, between mm-hmm. teachers that, you know, have gone the traditional education route and others that have not? And he just kind of said, well, I mean, obviously not knocking, you know, on just right. those that go to the traditional center. But he said, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I can I can visibly see that there is mm-hmm. a difference in as far as the attention that is drawn towards the teacher, the way, and it goes back to what you said, just the way they design the lesson and engage. And for myself, be, those marketing skills of knowing my customers, 27 different right. customers that I have to sell algebra to and That's be right. very specific. So I jokingly <laughs> say back in 2005, I was doing yep. personalized learning before it became a buzzword and That's currency. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's those skills yeah. that are transferable. So I do mm-hmm. agree with mm-hmm. what you're saying there in that statement. And uh, again, like I said, thank you so much for sharing that background sure. and, of course, the, those skills. And uh, so now let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit now. And I wanted to ask in education, and I don't think uh-huh. you mentioned it. How many years have you been in education now? Twenty five. Twenty five years. It's, it's like, I'm almost catching up. This is my twenty fifth. Yeah, so I'm excited. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm almost catching up. This was year yeah. sixteen for me, so Good I'm almost you, there. All right. So slow yeah, down you are, there, man. <laughs> All right. So now let's yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Now you're taking those design skills. You went yeah. from going into university and teaching mm-hmm. English, and then mm-hmm. now making that transition into yeah. a school setting. And mm-hmm. tell, can you tell me a little bit about yeah. that transition too, as well? Sure. Yeah, the journey continued, obviously. So after a year of working in a high school and then going to more of the higher ed. And the thing was, majority wise, I actually found that the high school students in America were very similar to these undergraduate students I had in in China. And not as a knock to them, but Chinese students and Asian students in general, they study so much that they don't have the street smarts necessarily, or the, I don't, that's not the best word. They don't have the experiences that a lot of our kids have outside of school. Most of them, school is their life until they finish university. And so I found a lot of similarities there. I knew I didn't want to stay in higher ed necessarily. And so I actually, after a year in China, I did need to go home and fulfill some of my responsibilities to paying back the state of Georgia because I got this free master's degree. And so I went back and taught tech ed and well, a CTE, career and technical education, for two years in, in, in Georgia again. Um, but the whole time, I was only thinking about how to get back overseas. That was like my entire, my entire goal. So I fulfilled after two more years, I fulfilled that responsibility to the state and my grant was forgiven. And then I moved back to China. And this time to a different city. It's it's more of a port city on the East Coast. And I moved into an English school, an English training school. So here, there's all these academies and different things where kids get schooling after school. And so this was one of those kind of places. It's like a an English training school. And so I went there and actually met my wife, who's Chinese, but was teaching English there. And so we met there. And after a very short... <laughs> dating period, we got married actually about a year later. And that was right when SARS hit funds. I don't know if you remember SARS or not, but right when SARS hit, and this is so funny to see the parallels. They were a handful, I say a handful, a couple hundred cases of SARS in Hong Kong. And that totally shut down a lot of what happened in a lot of parts of Asia. And so SARS hit 
And all these international school teachers were leaving because they were afraid they might get sick. And so, because at that point, we hadn't had anything like this before. And so it benefited me and my wife because there were all of a sudden all these job openings in China at these international, private international schools. And so we were lucky enough to get a job in Suzhou, which is not far from Shanghai. And we lived there for, for quite a while, for four years before we wanted to start our family. So we moved back to the States, start our family. In the interim, we then moved to Bermuda for a year to try that out. Bermuda's cold, just in case anyone ever wants to know. There is a winter in Bermuda. It's not the Caribbean like you'd think. And then after a year of that, we moved back and we were in Savannah, Georgia for a couple of years and had our second child. And then that was when my, my two children were refusing to speak Chinese to their mom. And so we said, well, okay, we'll show you. We're going to move back to China. <laughs> so we, we moved back to China and, and we were in international school again. And the whole time I'm teaching design education, technology education, this idea of how you integrate all the subjects into one, doing project-based learning, that kind of stuff. Um, and I got into curriculum leadership during that time as well. And so in 2017, we moved to Korea for five years and we've just moved back to, to Beijing this, this past August. And so, yeah, it's, it's been quite a journey, but most of that time I've been teaching middle and high school, what we call secondary school. All of these schools are K to 12. And so I would teach like sixth to 12th grade these different skills. And so class sizes were smaller. Kids were really passionate about learning. And so those are some of the things that keep me as an educator. And then now my children are in middle school and that keeps me overseas to let them have that experience because they're in a class with kids from 50 different countries, right? And, and from 50 different backgrounds and in there, and they both speak fluent Chinese, you know, and they read and write Chinese, which was our goal was that we wanted to make sure that they were going to feel, we didn't want to limit them. We wanted them to make the choice, right? If they choose to do this or that, and they could end up going to a lot of foreign kids who grew up in China now go to university in China because they have international sections where you can go and stuff. So it, it may end up where they go to school in China too. I don't know, but that was, that's kind of where the journey has taken us. Yeah, and that is so wonderful, Jason. <laughs> Honestly, like, you know, just hearing that and hearing your perspective and, of course, everything that you went through, you know, all these moves and so on, you know, it is, mm -hmm. it's that real world experience. And mm -hmm. sometimes we don't think about that, you know, we, and, and not to say as, you know, you get comfortable where you're at, but sometimes mm -hmm. those changes, those opportunities, they don't often mm -hmm. come, you know, mm -hmm. that like this and work out the way that they do. So that's really mm -hmm. exciting that mm -hmm. you, you have this opportunity yourself as an educator from the U.S., going overseas, making a mm -hmm. huge impact, taking in things from a different lens and perspective. And we, I want to get to that, and you know, right now in this section, you know, okay. this, you know, talking about that difference in perspective. I know you've mentioned mm -hmm. a lot where you work at a school where students want to be there and parents mm -hmm. want their students to be there. So mm -hmm. obviously that makes the environment a little bit more different, maybe a little bit more yeah. conducive to, you know, that openness of, yeah, I, I'm going to learn. I, and mm. of course, behaviors, behavior everywhere. I'm sure that sure. you'll have some middle schoolers point. or middle schoolers. Man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. now for yourself, of yeah. course, transitioning, you said, you know, going into middle school, doing, you know, mm. design. And mm. then of course the technology, 
you know, implementing that and bringing mm. that into, you know, a different culture. How, how was that to begin with? Sure. What were some of the things that you had to do and pre to prepare ahead mm. of time to start presenting, you know, your curriculum and your teaching style to them? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I'm really lucky because we follow the International Baccalaureate or the IB um, framework. And in that design and technology are a, a core subject. And so luckily that a lot of that work was done for me because parents understood this was an expectation. Also, one thing that really helped was a lot of our parents are involved in industries that are engineering, um, technology, just different factory, factory owners, automation, robotics. They're already in those industries. So they actually value that we're teaching the skills of collaboration, the skills of teamwork, the skills of knowing what tools best for the job, that kind of stuff. And so where the cultural aspect comes in are usually really small, nuanced things. For example, I don't know if you know this, in China, or maybe that's in China particularly, a red arrow up is a good thing and a green arrow down is a bad thing. So when you think about rankings or you think about for negative growth on something, like I look at the analytics for my podcast, there's always a green arrow when you're going up and a red arrow, but it's the opposite here because red's a lucky color. And so those are little things you don't know until you make silly mistakes and go, oh, oh, wow, that's really what that meant. So there's still this psychological, cultural difference that takes place. Also, you never know who these kids are you're talking to. It might be a diplomat's child. It might be the owner of Coca-Cola's child. Who knows, right? Like there's all these kids. And so you do have to use the words that you really mean. So you need to be particularly, I don't mean careful necessarily, but you need to make your, your words matter. And so that was probably one of the bigger things for me was learning to not just fill space with my words, but to make all of my words count. And so that real estate of sharing these things, because you never know what kids are going home and telling their parents. And so luckily for me, my personality is quite outgoing and, and extroverted. And so, and student, and, and the thing is I have the skills to back it up. So I demonstrate this particular skill or whatever to the students. They see, oh, he does. He knows what he's talking about. He has instant credibility, right? And so I think that's probably the biggest thing with parents. I, I love to partner with parents. And so I think that's where the magic happens is when you partner with parents. Now we're talking about the kids have nowhere to hide <laughs> because we're talking, right? We're both talking to each other. And so that's that was something that was different for me because I tried to partner with parents in my schools in the U.S. many times, and it was difficult because everyone's working hard and they don't always have time. Another thing that's really different, Fonz, for us is that we often live very close to the school and close to the other teachers and families that go to the school. And so we're likely to sit next to each other in the restaurant. We're likely to stand behind each other in line to buy food. And so you're, it, the, the lines are blurred a little bit of where school is and where community is because many people don't have a car, right? And, and we all live close to where we work. And so 
we're always intermingling with board members and teachers and kids and parents and, you know, community volunteers. And so the community is very lovely. But if something goes a little bit awry, there can be a real deep riff. And so you have to be particularly careful there. But th I know I strayed way off your question, but these are things that you have to consider because the, the community bleed, the community time bleeds into your class time and you have to be, be conscious of that. And so not to say you don't do what you need to do, but to say that you need to be very deliberate and and, and, and very clear with your expectations. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. Assessment, um, the word assessment has been weaponized in schools so much that it's, it's, no, it's no different here. And so I have to be really careful how I word what the performance of understanding task is called. Because if by the minute I say summative assessment, my students go into orbit. It's the only thing that matters. So I don't usually use that term. <laughs> so that's another thing that you had to change where, you know, I think in the States, it's probably that way to a certain extent, but not, not on this scale. Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I love what you shared because it really resonates with me because mm -hmm. especially what you said, you know, the partnership with parents is very important. And mm -hmm. my last four years in the classroom, that's something that that was my number one goal was to always build those relationships with parents. And I lived here in Texas and in the mm. southernmost tip at the school mm. that I'm working from or working at, I was probably about 15 minutes going into Mexico where a lot mm -hmm. of the plants and facilities, mm -hmm. where a lot of people from Korea and China owned a lot mm -hmm. of facilities there. So a lot of the parents were from there. And again, you know, dealing with automation, dealing with production yep. and so on. So that really helped me also mm. grow in my STEM program that I would do after school mm. and coding. So mm. I want to know a little bit about what you do as far as offering, you know, STEM or maybe mm -hmm. extracurriculars. Is that something or is it built yeah, in oh, already yeah. into your curriculum? Yeah, it's, it's both. Great question. Thank you, Fonz. So we, we do both because we're K to 12 school, things are age appropriate, right? So we have sort of a maker mindset kind of class in the elementary or primary year school. Then in the middle school, we do more of like a Lego robotics type thing. We have just Lego other things. We do a lot with coding. We do esports, things like that. And then we have in the high school, more of a VEX, larger scale robotics program, which is still growing. It's still growing, but and that's sort of, and those all grew independently. Like there were a couple of educators, a couple of kids who said, let's make this happen. So our goal, one of my goals actually now is to bring all of that under one umbrella and create this program across the school, which feeds into each other, which they do naturally from a lot of the skills, but we want it to be really explicit. So there's that. Most of that happens after school time, but we do have some in, in school. We're in a very fortunate situation. We built a schedule so that one day in our rotation is off timetable learning. So it's a whole day where we offer workshops for kids and they get to pick what they take. So there's, a, there's that choice and, and autonomy and agency, right? And one of the reasons we do that is that it gives kid, teachers a break. They can offer something completely different. We have kids who do, teachers who do like Roblox, you know, for kids. 
and then other, and, they, and they're the math teacher or they're, you know, they'll do cooking and they're the PE teacher. Like there's, it's a chance for teachers to really experience that, but also for tits, kids to make total choice over what they do for the day. So that's where some of that happens. We have over 300 after school activities that take place. And so across the school, so kids stay behind to do that. As I mentioned before, a lot of kids do academies and after school stuff. And so we felt it was important. We have stuff during the day so that they're not missing out on certain opportunities. And so there's that plus the, the standard design program curriculum that we have throughout the school. And we do things like um, laser cutting. We do, you know, a lot of Adobe stuff. So we do digital and we do product stuff. And so we will do Tinkercad that's then brought into Adobe Dimension that's then brought into t the thing link, right? And we've got all these sort of things. So with, with a logo that you've designed or something, you know, so we, we do all kinds of stuff. Um, and so there's a lot of skills that cross over what we discovered and learned very quickly was that there's not one skill. If I learned word perfect, you know, 30 years ago, I would be out of, of a job, right? Like, I mean, but if I learned the skills, they're all similarly transferable, right? And so that's what our goal is, is to create opportunities and projects for, for students that they can transfer those skills to other unfamiliar situations, right? So that's, that's kind of our goal. With the STEM program itself, we don't call it that, but it, it is what that, that is what it is, where everything kind of meshes together. So where we focus heavily on that is in our units we design that are called interdisciplinary units. And so we actually have, of course, we actually have teachers working together to plan like joint assessment opportunities. So the math teachers and the science teachers will get together and they'll do a project together. And, and that kind of thing. So that's where we have crossover. And we have some other really unique, um, I can't take credit for them because I'm relatively new to the school, but we have some other really unique opportunities for kids to learn and for teachers to experience something that they've not done before. You know, everything that you described there is just great and wonderful. I mean, <laughs> just, I, I'm just blown away. I was like, man, you know, that's a very nice model. And I wish mm -hmm. that we would be able to see that here, at least some, the yeah. schools where I'm at and even here, and I know that we do have what they call the CTE programs, that's yeah. more the high school, but really there, there isn't really anything that kind of feeds into going from elementary to middle school. We do have a first Lego league, which does kind of feed from elementary to middle school. And then it mm -hmm. goes into high school where they do the VEX and all mm -hmm. that. But as far as the design class, let me ask you mm. for the design you know, is this something that's K through 12 or does it start off, you know, from middle school and up? It is officially middle school and up, but we do have two design teachers in the elementary school and they start at three years old. We have an early childhood center as well. So we have kids that are three all the way up to 18 or 19, depending on, you know, when their birthday falls. And so there is, there, that's the, what we're trying to flow through. Right. And so we find that actually in the early years and in the primary school, it's not hard for kids to think non-linearly and to look at connections and to find places to inquire because they it's so play-based. Where it's hard is when we start to construct these these schedules, right? Where we're going to learn social studies here and we're going to learn math here. So our attempt at what we call day nine, 
because we're on an eight-day cycle. So we have a ninth day where there's no classes scheduled. That's that's a way for us to give passion projects an opportunity for to happen for kids. And so that's where we but you know what, Fonz, that takes space and time, right? Like that that takes and support from from the community because that's one of the number one complaints, ironically, from parents sometimes is that they are worried that they're losing learning time by doing this. But we have tons of data to say, actually, that's not the case where actually kids are learning so much through this time. And so I've never seen it actually be successful in a school until I got here. So it's really, really exciting. But we do have to keep check on it, constantly having to pivot, constantly having to be responsive to the needs of the community. We're constantly sending out surveys to parents and students, asking them how they're doing with this from, from semester to semester. It can finding more and more ways to, to integrate feedback into from the community into how to do this. And so it's a chance, though, for kids to do a five-week thing on sustainability or to work in the school garden or to do whatever that, that, that's really important to them. And so we have a really active community outreach with our students, which is really great. You know, and that sounds great and that you are mm -hmm. actually pursuing feedback from parents. And, mm -hmm. oh, you know, yeah. it's interesting to hear that, that, that concern of, oh, no, 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 they're, they're not learning. And, you know, like you said, you have data to back this up. So what are yeah. some of the data that you guys put mm -hmm. together to kind of show that these projects and this time to work mm -hmm. on passion projects to expand their learning really do sure. help, you know, their, their curriculum? Great question, actually, Fonz. We're really lucky. Most international schools have a pretty high turnover of students. It's about an average two to three years, and they're off to the next place. Their parents get transferred or whatever. Our students tend to stay for a pretty significant amount of time. And so we have a lot of alumni who answer questions to us that we ask of them to find out how we can continue to improve. So we have a pretty robust alumni network. One of those questions is, you know, what did you enjoy in school? What are things you want to see continue? What would you like to say to students now to make them successful? And the number one thing that always comes up is that <laughs> it's this, this day off timetable. I don't want it to sound like it's non-academic because it is academic. There are academic offerings. There's enrichment classes. Let's say you're falling behind in your Chinese. You can meet up with your teacher for an extra hour of help. So there, there are lots of different things you can still do. Then there's also kids who do badminton four times in a row, right? So I think. <laughs> so what we're trying to do is to find a way to, we encourage balance. We, it's four blocks. We encourage two blocks of more academically focused and two blocks of more personal interest focused. And sometimes those lines blur, but we are trying our best to try to find a balance. And so one of my jobs is to try to find a way to encourage the offerings to show what kinds of things we do offer and that students who fall behind shouldn't be penalized and not be allowed to pick badminton if that's what they want to do, right? And so it's their day. It's their day to choose. And so the kind of data that we get from our, our we always ask our middle and high school kids every, I don't know, every three or four months, actually, we're sending out forms and asking them, you know, what do you like? What do you, what would you want to change? That kind of thing. Resoundingly, they love it. And in many cases, they 
the own day and cycle where they can really be themselves, right? So we put a huge fo focus on social emotional learning as well. And so this falls into that philosophy of allowing students to be themselves, allowing them to do things that they enjoy. But the data shows that it then makes them more productive in their other classes because they've had this day to recharge, right? They've had this day to pick things with their friends. They've had this day to do these things. And so that's kind of where we, where we are with that. There we go. So we are back. Sorry about that, guys. Oh, sorry. Did I keep up talking? No, no, no. No worries, Jason. It's all good. Hey, like you said, improvise that going on but it's all yep. good we are back sorry about and, that you know thank you to our audience members for the patience yep. and like i said hey we're doing yep. a live show and like i always say tech happens but jason right. just real quick yep. so i yep. i did i was able to listen to everything yep. that you did say but just to yep. go back and reiterate we can you start on that place where yep. you said you know even though there is a child that does choose badminton for yep. four times they still have the ability to choose yep. and shouldn't be punished so if you could That's just right. take it from there Sure, absolutely. Sorry about that, Fonz. Uh, the 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 messenger pigeon, I guess, got tired flying from the Pacific. <laughs> it's all, <laughs> it's all good, my friend. It's all good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the the main thing is just that we allow choice, and that what we're finding is that the feedback from our students, and then ultimately from the teachers and parents, is that by giving this day in time every eighth or ninth day, students are more they feel more prepared for their regular classes, right? So they feel that they've had a chance to use their creative opportunity to, to express themselves and that recharges them and energizes them for the next, um, the next two weeks, right? So it's just, we, we found that there is a lot of, 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 and one of the things was in high school, particularly they were, the, the parents were saying kids attendance, <laughs> they didn't see it as a value. They thought it was a day off. And that's not what it was. <laughs> a lot of kids, their tennis was actually better on those days. And so <laughs> there you go. Well, no, but that's great. You know, that yep. that you're explaining, it's such a great model. And, you know, obviously it's always great to see how things are done in a different yeah. way and especially mm -hmm. in a different place. And it's the only way that we're able to learn and just getting this information and this perspective. It, mm -hmm. it just really excites me that there are places that are willing to I don't want to say take a risk, but just to yeah. do something a little different. And yeah. I'm going to quote Amy Minter, who I learned this phrase from, is like, we really, you know, suffer from the twatty, which is this is the way we've always done it syndrome. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with a little bit of change. And what you're yeah. describing to me, even though I'm not there, but just the way you describe it, I'm already excited. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this yeah. is what I've been looking for. And, and like know, you said, I you know, know. And, and I know we're going to talk. A little bit about this in your mm. podcast after, after mm. we finish here, you know, as far as designing school differently. Yeah. And I'm yeah. just so pumped for that conversation, too. Yeah, absolutely. Me too, man. I'm, I'm oh, my goodness. Well, Jason, thank yeah. you so much. This has been yeah. an amazing conversation. Most importantly for me is just getting things from a perspective from you being a, a mm. you know, a teacher here from the United States, working mm -hmm. overseas, the experience that you get, the experience that you're bringing to the students, the the love and the passion that, I mean, just hearing you talk, you sound like just a very passionate, very extroverted, relatable, <laughs> relational teacher yeah. that is something that is great. And we need more of that in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So thank you mm -hmm. for what you do and your service. Sure. And uh, of course, everything that you do for the students in the international school, because 
They're definitely yeah. lucky to have you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Franz. All Thank right, you. my friend. Well, as we get ready to wrap up, I always love to end with this segment. So hopefully, okay. like you said, that messenger pigeon still has a little bit of, a little bit of gas left, left, right? Yes, a little bit of gas. <laughs> so here we go, Jason. Yep. Question number one, in the current state of education, what would you say is your current edu kryptonite? Oh. Wow. I, I think for me, it's it's hard to choose sometimes. And what I mean by that is there's so many opportunities to say yes to that I've got to learn how to say no. And and whether it's writing an ebook or doing a podcast or doing this or that or starting a YouTube channel or 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 helping write curriculum or whatever, there's so many opportunities. It's hard sometimes to say no because these opportunities are much more available now than they were when I first started. And I always wondered how people could do these things. And now um, so much comes my way that I, I don't know how to say no sometimes. And so I, I think probably my thing is how to prioritize the things I, I feel I can have the most impact on. And that's, that's my kryptonite is not knowing when to say no. <laughs> Some of those things. Hey, there you go. And yeah. that, that goes for a lot of us. It's so hard mm -hmm. sometimes because we definitely, yeah. we're go-getters and we just want to mm -hmm. make sure that everything's, you know, is on, on point pretty yeah. much. And sometimes, you know, yeah, that, that, that kind of gets in the way. So I'm with mm -hmm. you on that one, my friend. All yeah. right, Jason, question number two, yep. if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be <laughs> and why? I think so. I'm. This is this is more of just my personality and my sense of humor. I I would have a a picture of me in seventies clothes saying "Disco is not dead. Disco is life," because <laughs> I just think that the seventies were a great time. I I was little, but they seemed like a great time. No, I I just think this whole idea that fads come and go. And, 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 and if you're around particularly education long enough, you've seen this fad come around once or twice in your career. And I, I just think it sort of symbolizes my whole philosophy that if it's good teaching, it's good teaching, you know, and, and, and that's, that's it. So I think it's taking kind of a humorous look at this idea that take the things that are important and keep those and then just forget the rest, man. I mean, cause it's just, you, you don't have the space for that. Nice. I like that. That's good. But hey, good teaching is good teaching. So yep. that's wonderful. Yep. I love that. Great point. All right. And last question, Jason. Yep. If this was your show, which we'll be on in a little bit, gonna record right after this. Right. But this was your show today. Yep. And I was a guest on your show, yep. which is kind of weird. But what would be one question you'd like to ask me? Well, I'm going to ask you this question anyway. And that is how do you design education? Wow. How do I design education? Okay. Yep. So here's my thing. It would, I would take a little bit of what you shared and sprinkle it onto what we already have, kind of making it work and getting students really excited and giving them that opportunity to follow their passion project. Mm. But one of my things lately, and I just finished a project on this in one of my doctoral classes, is really on the focusing of ungrading, which is oh, okay. not, not that I'm not going to take grades. It's just mm -hmm. that I want to, I want the students to focus more on the learning than on the actual letter mm -hmm. grade. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. would be something, you know, based on specific rubrics, 
scientific practice where we mm. do they do create learning artifacts that are meaningful, but that also mm. will show me as a teacher, yes, they did understand the concept. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. see there's thinking. I can see mm-hmm. their thought process. And you're grabbing data as you go throughout because you're able to see them, how they started at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. till the end of the year. And mm-hmm. you as a teacher are properly equipped with these mm. digital artifacts that you can pull up at any meeting, whether it's like a 504 mm-hmm. intermediate mm-hmm. meeting, accommodations mm-hmm. meeting, and show either growth or decline, but you've got an actual evidence, something visual rather mm. than, well, they're just not passing my test. Mm. Okay, right. can you be more specific? Well, they just need to study more. Well, can you dive in deeper? Well, they, they just need to come into tutoring and do right. that. And that to mm. me is what I would love to change. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Sounds uh, good. Thank you, Jason. Well, man, this is great, Jason. I'm just yeah. really so excited. And I'm so pumped up. Thank you so much for being a guest on My EdTech Life. And thank you, mm. you know, for the, again, like I mentioned, and I'm going to say it again, thank you for the work that you're doing, not oh, only on the podcasting you. side and, uh, you know, being on social media, but the work that you are mm-hmm. doing there within the school and that you continue to do. So keep up the amazing work, my friend. And for all our audience members watching, please make sure that you do follow Jason. I have been sharing his Twitter account, his YouTube channel. All of that will be in the show notes. So please make sure that once the show is up and released, make sure that you follow, subscribe, like, because he's got some amazing content as well. And for us as well, please make sure you visit our website. And of course, listen to this wonderful episode and all the other 156 other episodes that we have with some amazing teachers where you can learn some amazing things, share their experiences, take some of the good, sprinkle it onto what you are already doing great. And as always, make sure that you connect with them because that is the mission and vision of our show is connecting educators and creators one show at a time. Also, if you want to contribute to our mission, please make sure you stop by our merch store where we've got some great merch here. We've got some great new designs where you can pick up some caps, some hats, some sweaters, some swag, loungewear, conference wear, whatever it is. Feel free to check out our store and we really appreciate your support. And as always, my friends, until next time, don't forget, stay techie.